Good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Lauren Landis. And the late Patty Fink is doing some work stuff. Work stuff. She told us. I, I never listen. Uh, <laughs> no, she, she, she's busy at work uh, on this lovely Sunday afternoon. Our guest today is Greg Kaysen. He is a psychologist based in Beverly Hills, but he's actually in New York right now. Greg, are you there? I'm here. You are, and uh, you're going to be walking to the theater d- during part of the interview. That, that's unfortunately so, but... No, it sounds like fun. Those, it's very New York. <laughs> very New York, very gay. Yeah. It's been very gay, yes, 100%. So, so it fits in with our theme perfectly. Um, well, welcome back. It's been a while since you've been on. Thank you. It's really nice to be back with you guys. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd talk a little bit today about, you know, uh, Greg, you are a psychologist and you specialize in cognitive therapy and working with gay and straight individuals. Um, yeah. I'm sure this time of year, a lot of people come in and they have holiday issues. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, of course, with holiday issues is going home for the holidays and coming out. <laughs> This isn't the yeah. best. That's not the best way to do it, is it? No, in a word, no. It, but it's it, it's one a lot of people choose. One because it may be their annual trip home, or maybe it's the first trip even in a couple of years. Uh, now that COVID has been part of our lives, but the uh, but the holidays are probably a better time for joining together with people than to individuate and. Um, we probably, if we're going to come out when we're home, there may be some ways to do it, but that would be to do it, I always say, follow two days before and two days after. Don't Two days before a holiday, give to the family. Two days after the holiday, give to the family. And the holiday, give to the family. So five solid days of just try to join together with other people, make it less about you than other people. And then maybe on those other times you can do it. The problem is that the holiday meal or other times, sometimes feel, people feel a pressure cooker and they explode and they may come out. So that's, that happens and that can often lead to disastrous results. Hmm. How do you think or how do you feel about um, not necessarily coming out during the holidays, you know, at, at Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner or whatever, um, but you bring your, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see on the radio, but you're bringing your roommate and uh, yes. <laughs> bring, you bring your roommate to the family gathering and someone kind of figures it out and asks, what are you like? I'm if you're not out, should you not bring your partner? If you're not out, I wouldn't bring your partner unless they are in full desire to go there and hide the relationship. But what it often does, often when there's one person who isn't out, the other person is. Yeah. Um, It's it's less likely that both people are not out and both people are able to hide it and make this platonic roommate situation, which... Unless you live in a big city like L.A. or New York or San Francisco, you're unlikely to have a roommate after the age of 30. Um, that may not be true in all places, but the, but the bottom line is 
people are going to start wondering why you have a roommate, not a wife or a husband, if you're a woman or, you know, something along those lines. Right. What's going on? So there, it's going to just invite those questions no matter what. But wait, 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 wait. So yeah. some people, some men have women spouses. <laughs> yes. Oh, OK. I, I just got confused about that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They, they really, they do that quite a bit. And they do it openly? <laughs> they do it openly. You see people walking down the street. I've seen entire groups of women go into our bars in celebration of a marriage to a man. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I just completely <laughs> threw off our train of thought. Oh, no, I was just going with it. Yeah, yeah but... <laughs> But yeah, if you were to, if the problem is, well, I often see these cu- people in therapy, couples and individuals. There's often one who's much more closeted than the other, and this can bring on a bunch of problems. But one of the keys is the holidays, and if the partner goes home and doesn't share the existence of their relationship or their identity. Often the one who's left behind, who's more out, feels like that they're just being stepped upon. It feels like the relationship is nothing or feels like they don't matter, that they're taking a back seat. So it can have a very deleterious effect on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would highly recommend. um, I've been in a situation where years ago with someone not out. I was out. They were not, but they wanted to take me home. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and because then you have to hide it, and that's just going to eat at your soul. It's it's not very helpful. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I was in that situation with Brian, uh, who was my husband, um, when we went to his mother's house three weeks before we were getting married. Uh, we went out to lunch, and I said, I'm sitting across from his mother, and Brian was sitting next to me, and his stepdad across from him. And I said, okay, so Brian, what did you tell them about the wedding? And he said, nothing. <laughs> now, we oh, were, he didn't, they didn't know? They did know that we were getting married, oh. but they needed to know certain details about it, like uh, his mother was going to be giving him away. Uh, because we had this huge wedding. It was on stage during a Turtle Creek Chorale concert. So, oh, I cool. said, uh, so I said, okay, well, not knowing how she was going to take some of this, I said, okay, we're getting married on stage at a Turtle Creek Chorale concert. Uh, but other than that, it'll be just like a regular wedding. Uh, <laughs> but there'll be, you know, 175 yeah. men behind <laughs> us singing. Uh, and, oh, we won't walk down an aisle. We'll just come in on the, from the wings of the stage, and you'll uh, escort Brian, and my aunt uh, escorted me. Uh, and uh, I said, and uh, other than that, just a regular wedding. And then I remembered, oh, she's probably never been to a Jewish wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I said, oh, and half the ceremony will be in Hebrew, um, but we're just saying the same things as uh, you'd say at a regular wedding. Other than that, just like a regular wedding. Oh, and we break a glass and uh, drink a <laughs> cup of wine. But other than that... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. by that time, she was just hysterically laughing. But uh, so, Oh, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
So here, here's another scenario um, yes. that that uh, we have to deal with in the LGBT community. Um, you are out to your family. They everyone yes. knows, oh. but one or more people in your family object to the relationship and have told you you can come, but don't bring your friend, partner, yeah. however they phrase it. And yeah. you... <laughs> usually usually is friend. Right, right, yeah. Yes, they uh, don't usually go for the recognizing the relationship. No, they yeah. don't. They don't. <laughs> um, and that sometimes the person are defiant and they're like, well, I'm bringing him or her anyway. What do you think about that? I, you know, I don't like that. I don't like it for the person, and but I don't think it's good to be defiant and bring someone, quote, anyway. If you're going to have the party at your house, you can set the rules. But if someone else oh, is having the party, they set the rules. And and what you need to do is you can talk to them, you can be upset with them, you can do a bunch of things. You can talk to also people in the family that you're close with about this situation. But ultimately, uh, it doesn't help anything to just go, uh, because then that just looks like aggression. Um, and that's, I don't know how helpful that is for anybody. Yeah. Uh, that person... People that have these negative opinions, they, they're coming from somewhere. I mean, they probably spent years being indoctrinated themselves in their own belief systems, just from watching TV, participating in church, elementary school, their family, whatever it was, and it brought them up to have a certain point of view. Well, we also know about people who tend to be more conservative. There may be a biological basis in that they may be more fearful or prone to anxiety, and that, that fearfulness causes them to narrow their tribe from, let's say, all of humanity, which we're all a part of, that's our tribe, really, mm-hmm. to, um, to just the safe people, just the people who have R after their name, just the, just the people who uh, I see at church. Those are really the only people I trust. And, the, and when it goes to something like that, when they're very fearful, they'll, they'll narrow their world very dramatically. And they believe things like if they invited the relationship into your house, they would be committing a sin. They would be doing something wrong. And so to them, in their minds, even though it's a very, you know, I, I look at it as quite a despicable act. Nonetheless, it is their choice to, to have that prejudice. But they, they were indoctrinated and they're following a rule that they think is best. So I think it gets into a sticky situation. If you want to make an actual impact with that person, get to know that person better, like try to connect with them. And if it's someone even close to you and you do have a good relationship, you'll probably have the most influence. And then you can start to talk to them about your relationship, about the nature of it. Invite them over to your house and have them see that all you do is, you know, do laundry and maybe make a meal and otherwise your life is extremely boring and you know and there's really nothing all that different except for maybe who with whom you sleep and maybe some of your friend groups and and the fact that you go to new york and go to plays um in the middle of winter (laughs) right i I might point out it's a lovely 70 degrees here today it's perfect weather all weekend (laughs) 
Um, uh, that's Dallas, yeah, but, though, baby. Yeah, <laughs> that is. But what is it? And I'm asking this so that people can understand better the person that they're uh, dealing with who is inviting them and not their friend. Um, right. What are they afraid the friend is going to do? It's a good question, and that might be a great question to ask them. By the way, if you really want to start to impact someone's rigid belief system, ask them questions. But ask them questions without an agenda. Like, go, oh, what are you concerned about if you if you brought if I brought so and so? You know, what's what's your concern? What's um, you know to explain it to me? Just help me to understand, and then you can start to maybe impact because often when people when they hold rigid beliefs they haven't analyzed them all that much mm -hmm. they just hold them they think that's yeah. wrong that's you know that's a bad thing that's against god well where did god say that you know it, what and if you know if he said that there if they're referring to something like leviticus then um why is it okay to eat shellfish or mm -hmm. you know that type of thing like just help me understand what you how you're thinking about this and they may even just run into a wall with you and say i don't want to talk about it etc and i would say okay you know and just let them be but know that that actually can start the thinking process that can help them start to loosen their their mindset Mm -hmm. The problem is when we come at people very directly and very aggressively, and we've seen this now in the last few years with all the political division and the weird misinformation campaigns and all that's going on, when we come at people very directly and aggressively, they dig their heels in more. They, they fold up their arms and they turn away and they say, I'm not even talking to you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't get us anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. What, one of the questions I wrote down for you is, what if on the flight in to vi come visit you, your sister punched a flight attendant? <laughs> <laughs> I have two sisters, I think, who might do that. <laughs> I see. Um, <laughs> it's a little close. But um, <laughs> what if? You know, you mean, how would you approach her? Or Yeah, how do you even deal with a relative like that? And what my real question is, is uh, going back to what you were saying, that it might just start the person thinking if you ask the right question. Um, yeah, what were you thinking? If I were going to talk at all to her, I would just say, first of all, I would know. I would just be like, oh, what happened then? Oh, you got arrested or you the air marshals came or whatever, you know? Okay. And then I would just let the system start to work itself. But I might ask, you know, what what was going on for you at the time? What was what was happening? If you want to get anywhere, be a little bit more compassionate with the person and try to understand what it was like to be in their shoes. I think a lot of these people who are very aggressively anti-mask and whatnot, they've really bought into the line of thinking that somehow their freedom as an individual is being, being trodden upon and that they personally have a duty to stand up to all the terrible people who are, you know, all the tyrannical people who are telling them their freedom doesn't matter because they're asking you to wear a mask. They're not thinking of anybody else but themselves. 
in that moment, or perhaps their tribe, like the, the freedom fighters who are back home, not, not on the plane with them. And so they might do this completely ridiculous act, like punch a flight attendant, um, and then they have to suffer consequences. Um, but what you can start to do is to understand where did they even like, come up with that? Because especially if it goes against their personality, like if I had, there is one sister I'd be surprised about. But, you know, I might not be surprised about the other two sisters. I might go, oh, yeah, okay, I could, I could see how that might happen. <laughs> but, you know, I would probably, let's say the one I'd be surprised about, I'd go, hey, what was going on? Like, tell me. And so I'd try to get her perspective on it and understand it. Mm-hmm. So- I know it sounds... It's not very satisfying because we want to just punch him back, mm-hmm. you know, like we want to tell the person metaphorically, perhaps. But we, but it's not satisfying, but it actually gets somewhere. So you, you have to ask yourself, do you want to punish the person and make sure they suffer? Or do you want to understand and connect and maybe help them move forward? So. Well, as one friend of mine said, well, you don't know what's in that vaccine. So I said to you. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I, I've read. That's a great question, actually. <laughs> but but uh, as we were talking, she said, you know, I'm not getting the vaccine, but I do wear a mask and I'm not trying to infect anybody else. So I thought that was thoughtful. Yeah. And even though she's not understanding the science, um. She, she's not trying to infect anybody else and doing what she can to avoid getting infected herself. Yes, that is that is thoughtful. I've always thought for those who don't get the vaccines, it's probably best for them to try to do that, like to try to limit their lives as much as possible, to wear a mask and to stay away from any kind of crowd. You know, in New York, one thing I have to say about visiting New York, which I think they're doing a great job of this, Everywhere I go, every restaurant, bar, theater, you have to show your vaccine card. And in, like in the theater, you have to wear a mask the whole time. No surprise there. Mm-hmm. But um, but it is nice. They don't just want to see your vaccine card. They want to see your ID as well. So wow. they're trying to take some steps here. I'm sure people get fakes made, etc. But the reality is they're trying to take steps. Um, to protecting other people. And I think when we all join together, we all make it much further. And that's true for the gay community because the gay community, you know, we're, we're just a normal marginalized group. And um, although we've had much more acceptance in the past 20, 30 years, there's still a lot more to go. And it seems like we've done some backsliding recently. But the... Uh, but the bottom line is, um, you know, we're all part of the same big group. And we're talking to Greg Kaysen. He is a psychologist from Beverly Hills, but in New York. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on your way to the theater in a few minutes? Yes, I am. Okay, so uh, after the break, we're gonna, there might be some street noise, but I'm sure we'll just do fine. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. And we'll be back right after this. I'm Joey Santos, and I listen to KNON-FM 89.3, Lambda Weekly. 
And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Laurent Landis. Patty has the weekend off, and our guest is Greg Kaysen. He is a psychologist. Um, going back to uh, questions to ask uh, your family, because I really like that idea to ask a question, you know, especially as a reporter uh, during the week. I'm always asking questions. Uh, I had a terrible time dating always because people feel like I'm interviewing them. <laughs> um, but the question that I liked uh, asking your family or asking people who don't want you to bring the friend along with you to the holidays is what do you think he's going to do when he's here? What are you afraid of meeting him for? Yeah. Do you have a better way to ask that question? I, I wouldn't attribute anything to them. Like, I wouldn't attribute an emotion, mm -hmm. per se. Like, I wouldn't ask if they're afraid or, or say, what are you afraid of? I would okay. I would say, I, I would, I mean, although concern is an emotion, too, I would dumb it down a bit. Like, okay. say, what are you concerned about? Like, what what, what are you what are you concerned might happen? Mm -hmm. Like, so it just, it, it, it veers more into just what their, you know, maybe what their concern is. Which we are all free to have concerns <laughs> about things. Okay, so the so. answer, if they're going to give one, might be, but there are going to be children there. Yeah, and so what is your concern about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of follow down. Like, you're, they're, asked, they're inviting you to take place in their preconception or their prejudice when they're saying, well, there are going to be children there. If you just say, oh, okay, I understand. Do you? I mean, you want to just play dumb a little bit. I think you probably do this as a reporter because reporters often have their own preconceptions, but they have to kind of think outside that box mm -hmm. and be able to start to um, ask from the outside rather than from the inside. So the question I've always wanted to ask Trump as a reporter <laughs> yes. is, are you really as dumb as you're presenting yourself? <laughs> You know, the problem with dumb people is they don't know that they are. Right. And so that is this so is, true. <laughs> this is actually something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the Dunning-Kruger effect is really, I, I think if, if anyone wants to go watch a video on YouTube, there are a million of them. I, I think this is a concept that has been very popularized during the Trump presidency because of the advancement and sort of megaphone that a lot of people who have very little training and knowledge have had these big megaphones and have been able to put out their opinions as if they're true. The Dunning-Kruger effect basically says that the less you know, the more you think you know. The, more, the less intelligent you are, the more intelligent you might think you are. <laughs> but it's like, it's but people who are very, very smart, who are very intelligent, often are very aware of the limits of their knowledge mm -hmm. and will often um, not have that sort of overconfidence about their their uh, intelligence. Mm -hmm. well, it, um, so yeah, it, I'll, I'll start off by asking a question that yeah. I should know the answer and the person knows I should know the answer and they'll just kind of look at me and I'll say, no, I want to hear it from you. I want, to, I want your yeah. uh, take on 
what it is that you do, not my opinion of it, because I'm not writing my opinion here. I read a quote, I don't know how long ago it was, but it says something to the effect of um, there's nothing more dangerous than a dumb person who's confident. And I thought that was so true. <laughs> it is so true. And, you know, it, there's a for, there's a forgiving nature to being that confident when you're smart. You know, the whole ignorance is bliss thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that people who are often, who are maybe often have challenges in the intellectual realm usually don't feel so badly about it. They usually, they sometimes are able to approach life with the greater simplicity um, and they aren't as bothered by things. They don't become as obsessed with, let's say, politics and science and global warming and all this stuff. So it can often be rather forgiving. So it's not like they're in a terrible position, but it's only once people get a megaphone and, and maybe a power position, but they don't know what they're talking about, that they can do a lot of damage. Yeah. Sadly. So let's go back to the holidays for a second and families yeah. and the crazy times. And, you know, for the past two holiday seasons, we've been presented with a new challenge, and that is how to celebrate and gather in the middle of a pandemic. So yeah. I know several people who have had Thanksgivings and birthdays, um, and they have a um, a war- not a warning, but a stipulation that you have to be vaccinated in order to attend. And that has caused some family uproar uh, with a couple of people that I know. What do you think about that? I, I think that's a good rule um, because basically they're saying this is how we're, we feel safe gathering together, you know, in, in light of this pandemic. And we want to be able to feel that additional safety of the vaccine. Again, when I'm in somebody's house, I follow their rules. Right. So if I were not vaccinated, I would say, oh, that's unfortunate. I'll guess I'll send my gift. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom line right. is why are we trying to force other people to follow our rules? Now, conversely, people will say, well, they're forcing me to get a vaccine. But are they really? It's just basically... You know, even the mandates have lots of caveats and limits and uh, the mandate in quotes because it's not like they're making people get vaccines. But if you want to work in certain organizations, if you want to work in certain companies, if you want to to be able to go to a public school or this or that, I don't even know if public schools have done it yet. Not yet. I think uh, LAUSD is going to supposedly start in January, but we'll see. Mm. Um, but um, the bottom line is, if you want to participate in these things, if I want to go into a theater in New York, I've got to have a vaccination card. No ifs, ands, or buts. Right. right. So nobody's forcing you, want, you to go to the theater. Nobody's nobody's twisting my arm. But right. people can say, oh, you're limiting. Yeah, I guess so. But that's a limitation that's been chosen. We're in a pandemic. What's so wild about this is, you and I mean, you guys, I'm sure you were here during the AIDS pandemic. Sure. And it was a horrific, horrible, much more brutal disease than COVID is. Mm-hmm. And it was so horrible. And people 
who weren't affected by it just didn't care. And what we and we all, but in the same time, even within the gay community, we saw some of these same people. We saw some of these same um, elements of people giving misinformation, saying it was the AIDS, you know, viruses from the CIA or the HIV viruses from the CIA. I don't know, but there were a bunch of weird ones, and um, that the. You know, AZT made people very sick in the beginning because they gave people too much. Mm-hmm. So people were saying they're intentionally trying to drug people and kill gay people and all this stuff. And it was just, we just were fudging with our science. The science just wasn't there yet because it was the beginning. Mm-hmm. And now look at all the advancement that's happened. Protease inhibitors have actually turned things around so dramatically. It's like people have all new lives again. So it's amazing. Um, if people start to, you know, follow rules, some rules, back then we had face sex, which was a pretty dramatic mask. And then we, uh, you know, we all, then we had the medication. So, and that, that was basically how it came. And now it's, you know, we had masks first and then we had the vaccine. So I think it's, if we could have a vaccine for HIV, it'd be amazing. <laughs> well, they're working on that. They're working one. on it. It's based yeah. on mRNA <laughs> technology. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the reasons that the LGBT community, uh, this is according to HRC, um, is vaccinated at a higher rate, and it's a much higher rate than the general population, is our experience with the AIDS epidemic. You know, this I, time yeah, we were able to that. come up with something. And, and one thing that I haven't heard much of is, oh, yeah, but, you know, look how long they've been working on AIDS, and they when it affects straight people, they come up with something right away. Yeah, it's based on all of that uh, HIV research that's been done for years because they're both retroviruses. They're both in the same uh, class of viruses. So our study of what the virus is, how a virus operates, uh, how the immune system operates... uh, and drugs that will help viruses, it all comes from uh, research done for AIDS. That is exactly right. And how amazing it is that we had science on our side, you know, to help us. It was, that's where people, and I saw this happen within the science world and the medical world, is that people set aside their prejudice and put the patient first. Um, and when they did that, they started to change their attitudes. And in a way, um, we probably need to start to think about with COVID, which is interesting, is when we start to um, put people first and we put and we start to put the patient first and we start to really do things differently, our attitudes can change. You know, one thing we're talking about going home for the holidays, but one group I'm concerned about and I think everyone should be concerned about is the uh, medical providers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been dealing with this for um, almost two years. And um, a lot of them are so severely burned out. Mm-hmm. And, the, uh, because, and they're starting to have very serious problems with resentment. And resentment, not toward people who get sick, who could, you know, couldn't maybe otherwise control it, but people, let's say, who are refused to get vaccinated. 
and then get get so severely it, it sick and then take up hospital beds, etc. And it sounds horrific to say that's happening out there, but it is. And it's, you know, because we've often, and some people have brought some of the more severe illness, you know, they've invited it in. They maybe didn't want it, but they left their mm-hmm. window open and it got in, <laughs> basically. Right, right. So, you know, another thing that I don't understand how people are not waking up and taking notice. Um, a number of anti-vaxxers, including the head of the Daystar Television Network, which is based uh, in a suburb of Dallas, passed uh-huh. away last week as a result of uh, being anti-vax, and he caught COVID, and uh, he passed away. Uh, and I'm having trouble having sympathy for him, uh, but it's not waking up any of his followers. They're as defiant as ever. What is behind that kind of thinking? Yeah, that's a very curious thing. I would, I would have had the same hope that you did. I'm walking now. That's what you hear. Um, but I would have had the same hope that you did, uh, that they actually looked at their, um, this person they admired, this person who stood out front and who actually died because of his poor choice, and they would change their choice. What would have been more powerful is if he modeled the change. So if he just goes and dies, then he's going to um, not really prove anything. And they can even attribute his death to any number of reasons that have nothing to do with him. I hate to say it. Um, Or to his choice. So um, bottom line is there may not be a lot you can do to try to change those people. They need some kind of model that they believe in to start to change them. Or, which this is provides cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance would be something like if they live in a community where they're limited because of their choice. Let's say here in New York City again with the uh, vaccines uh, mandates, or not mandates, but uh, with the you need a card to get in everywhere. That'll make people get the vaccine, not because they want a vaccine, but just they just want the card so they can get in place. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that starts to change attitude Um, that when you actually present these things, people have to adjust their attitudes to deal with what's going on. Well, and what New York City is doing uh, is working over the Thanksgiving weekend. New York City had no deaths. A city of nine million people, which is larger than most states. It's, uh, new, one city is a third the size of Texas. No deaths on a weekend that Dallas did have deaths. It's absolutely phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And you really understand it. And by the way, here in New York, I'm, I, I, I've traveled now to Greece, um, to a few different places. I love what New York is doing. Everywhere you look, they're testing people for free for COVID-19, and there's vaccines are available everywhere. In this super crowded, messed up city, they really know what's going on. Um, And they're really taking steps, and they have to. They were so hard hit in the beginning. Uh, The trauma that this city suffered through was immense. And they really responded in such a positive way. It's amazing. 
Well, I want to do a shout-out to CBS for being so screwed up. Uh, I wanted a flu shot, so I walked into a CVS right near my house, uh, which doesn't give away which one because there's a CVS on every corner. Um, I went up to the pharmacy counter, and I asked if they had the high-dose quadrivalent flu shot. They did. And I said, can I get one? Um, You know, showed my uh, insurance card. And they said, well, do you have an appointment? So I looked around the store. I'm the only person in the store. I said, no, do I need one? She said, yes, you do. So I had to go to my phone, and it took forever to make an appointment because there's like 10 pages of questions. And Uh then I looked at her, and I said, Hello, I have an appointment to get a flu shot. She said, what time is your appointment for? No. Uh, No. I I said, whatever time it was, I said uh, that time. And she said, okay, why don't you have a seat and we'll be right with you. There is nobody else in the store. God. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. So that's one of my favorite companies, just making things easier to get a shot. No, it's, it, you know, there's, yeah, it's just so ridiculous. I don't even know what to say. Right. Yeah, we, you know, from a public health standpoint, CBS is screwing up there because they should be working with all the agencies, you know, should be working from a public health perspective. We want the public to get better. So we're going to make this easy. He comes in here. Here's a pad. Fill out all the questions, and we'll give you a flu shot. Why mm-hmm. would you have to go and you know do all that stuff? Because they want you to have an online account. Oh, I guess you answered that question. There you go. That makes perfect sense. Which they had to close my online account because they were sending a questionnaire every time you bought something there. And oh, I, yeah. I had purchased a roll of toilet paper, and there were questions about it. So I answered them. Okay. The oh. next time, the next time I was at the pharmacy counter, th- they looked at my account in horror and closed <laughs> it. We need to take a break. We're talking to Greg Case, and he is a psychologist and walking to the Broadway Theater District. It, the show you're seeing is off Broadway, right? No, it's a Broadway show. Oh, it it's is the American Airlines Theater on Forty on Forty Second Street. Yeah. So maybe it is considered off Broadway. I thought it was considered. No, that is a Broadway theater. theater. That is a Broadway theater. Yeah. 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 Uh, stick with us uh, uh, another few minutes. We need you to bet. take a break. This I is Lambda Weekly, and <laughs> and we'll be right back right after this. Uh, I'm Michael Dominguez, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly, eighty-nine point three KNON FM. And this is Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. We're talking to Greg Kaysen. I'm Dave Taffet, and I'm here uh, in the studio with Laron Landis. Greg, can you hear us? I hear you perfectly. Oh, okay, because some outside noise. You're, you're getting closer to a more busy oh, part of the city. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold it close to my mouth. We do theater, or we we do radio on the fly here. So, and during the pandemic, we really did have to learn to um, get creative uh, in getting our guests on. Yeah, I mean, I I would love to hear exactly, but you know, I will say that the pandemic has been a time when rigid people have really struggled because if you had to be flexible. You had to be flexible in your approach. 
in how you worked, in how you just did things. You had to learn new rules and new protocols. And people who are more rigid are really struggling. And no wonder they're digging their heels in. No wonder they're so angry. No wonder they're, you know, trying to force the world to go backward. Well, I could. It it's just hard. I couldn't work from home. I just couldn't do it. So, uh, so I went into the office with one other person. And at first it just seemed weird. And then it was like, huh, I'm kind of enjoying this. Everybody's leaving me the hell alone. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can tell you I was the only person in my building because I'm the same. I want to work in my office. So even though I was doing video stuff, I did it from my office. And mm. I would be the only person in there often. I guess I'm the oddball out. I, I work from home now, and I love it. People love it. Yeah, I love you just it. Just got to know your type. Yeah. Yeah, everybody else in my office is enjoying working from home, and several of them had cut very long commutes. Yeah, I, that's one of the big reasons for me. Yep. You know, one person uh, in our office lives in Plano. One person lives in Fort Worth. They had 30-minute drives when the traffic was good. So... Uh, oh, they're enjoying amazing. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it actually makes them more efficient because it's cutting an hour out of their uh -huh. work day. So. Hey, you know, not a, not a not a thing to you probably weren't wanting to say, but if I can say a word about work at home, sure. Work at home is an interesting one because the studies, like if you asked me, I'd say people at work at home are going to be less efficient. Basically, basing it on my work at home because I'd be, you know, going into full home mode. Right. But apparently, people at work at home are more efficient, yep. get more done, often work longer. Yep. And we have a problem with their burnout because they're almost doing too much where the where the office supplied them with some boundaries. Sometimes work at home because they don't have that boundary of the commute. They start to um, work too much or work or put too much in. Yep. Well, I'll, I don't want to give credit to anybody else in my office for working too much. <laughs> but but it actually has worked. In fact, one person had to go to South Texas uh, last week uh, because her parents were ill and she was taking care of them. And she was able to put in a full work day. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That, 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 that kind of thing... It is absolutely amazing, and I really welcome that change for the future because it's actually going to free people to do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's super important stuff. So, right. Um, one of your specialties, I was looking at your website, one of your specialties is working with people on exercise programs. So, I, I want to get your opinion so that you can tell me my doctor was wrong. Um, once it was just two of us in the office, we started having lunch catered in from a place called Mama's Daughters. People here in Dallas would know it. It's the best greasy diner in the city. Oh. <laughs> um, and he said, because he was asking me how my diet was yeah. when I was having my checkup during the pandemic. And I said, I said, it's great. I'm a doctor to do that. Yeah. So um, I said, I'm eating well. We have a full lunch catered in for mama's daughters he said yeah that's not what i was talking about i was talking about healthy food i said well he said are you getting any exercise i said yes i walk over there to pick the lunch up and he said that doesn't count as exercise walking to mama's daughters to pick up 
greasy fried chicken. <laughs> so he's wrong, right? <laughs> no, he's absolutely right. That is so sweet. It is good that you walk there. I'll hand you that. Thank you. <laughs> you do have to be mindful of your diet. Hey, look, I love greasy food. And all I want to do is eat pizza and chew and, uh, you know, omelets, eggs, anything, you know, any breakfast food is my favorite. Um, so I'm with you. But we do have to be mindful. What we do see um, is that nutrition is as important to the brain as anything, maybe even everything. So you proved my point. Exercise. Nutritious Wait. food like chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think those count. Oh. But they are delicious. Delicious and nutritious rhyme, but they're not the same thing. <laughs> I, I get them confused, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But, yeah, we actually see this in brain scans. It's really interesting. Um, and I'm very guilty of it. I mean, just doing things like smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol, um, which people think, oh, those can't be too bad. They're actually pretty bad. Now, you have to make choices about your life if you are willing to take those risks. But it does do a number on the brain. Hmm. Um, so it can be very damaging and very difficult. Um, I want to switch gears from going home for the holidays for the last few minutes talking about not going home for the holidays. Um, yes. The whole holiday season, I'm Jewish, the whole holiday season people ask me, you know, what are you doing for the holidays? And I, uh, my answer really is it's too early for me to plan what I'm doing in September and October. <laughs> so, I mean, this time of year basically means nothing to me. Um, uh -huh. My first job out of college that I did for about five years was in retail. And uh -huh. the origin of the term Black Friday doesn't come from Black Friday sales. It comes from the, the idea that you're going to have the worst customers who are going to tear your store apart. And while you're busy, shoplifting is going to be at its worst today. Um, and that's where the term comes from. It was never a complimentary term in in the retail world um, i didn't know i i will tell you i worked in the retail world do you know what they told us black friday meant what which was it, they told us that it was the day that you that you they started to make a profit for the year so oh yeah that's that's yeah that's what i've always heard too. yeah no they're lying about that i've heard <laughs> that for for decades <laughs> yeah no no it was that it brought out the worst of the worst so anyway so didn't know that. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I don't go into a store if I don't have to. Um, yeah. You know, I avoid any of that kind of thing. I'm not big on holiday parties. Um, the Chinese restaurant we used to go to on Christmas Eve has become so popular that we just gave it up. Um, uh -huh. You know, that was a nice tradition that we had for a number of years. Um, but it's been ruined by too many other people doing what we were doing. Um, any suggestions for people who are not going home for the holidays, for people who, yeah, I'm off between Christmas and New Year's. So I have a week and a half off. I'm not going to travel because, again, the worst holiday travelers, and especially with 
what's been going on in the air. I'm really not in the mood to fly somewhere and be held on the runway while they arrest the person who punched out the flight attendant. Um, so what suggestions do you have for somebody who really just needs to get through the holiday season and I'm not talking about somebody there's no depression or anything like that it's just eh, it's just this time of year um, look first of all it's perfectly fine to make the choice to stay home for the holidays um, second the um, what they want to do is to start to make that time if you're not going to stay if you're going to stay in you don't want to go out then you have to just make sure you have all the fortifications to be able to go forward and what i would do is still do a little bit of a celebration like have a little bit of something planned on the holiday that you choose that has had some meaning for you um, but if you can invite friends over or be a part of friends that that can be a very helpful thing but with the one thing you want to do is to honor the ritual you don't have to be in a store or with your family if that's something that's not going to be pleasant or helpful mm -hmm. but the ritual is can be a very helpful thing and a very healing thing okay yeah, yeah. i think that's a good suggestion um yeah. i mean the way i usually plan to get through the holiday week is plan a few things that i wouldn't normally have time to do like yeah. go, go see a show, go to a museum, and do a little bit of that kind of thing just to keep busy, even if it's not the blockbuster show that I'd want to see, uh, you know, just to get out a little bit. No, I think that's a great idea. Um, uh, and in fact, to do all the, I make a list when I'm spending time alone. I like to give myself lots of things that I'm planning to do. Mostly so that I can say, you know, I don't feel like doing that. I feel like just doing nothing and watching a movie. It almost gives me permission to do those kind of relaxation things that um, that I wouldn't normally otherwise do. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great plan. Yeah. Yeah. Another good one for this year. I need to get over to the Dallas Zoo. Um, yes. I, I know our zoo animals by name. Some of them. <laughs> yeah. But one of our tigers just had uh, kittens, and I oh. want to see them. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I need to call the publicity people over at the zoo so I can get backstage to see them or before hours to see them. All right. Oh, yeah. 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 That sounds like that would be amazing. Absolutely. So you're in New York. What are you seeing? Um. Okay. So I'm seeing this play that's only running for a month. It's called Trouble in Mind. And I believe the woman who is um, starring in it just goes by a single name, Lachaise. And it is um, a play that was written in 1955. I forget the playwright's name, but it is about a woman in the South, um, a black woman, um, and going and th there's a play that's been written i think it's about the casting and about the issues of uh how to deal with or what they dealt with in the south with interracial dynamics <laughs> I, I know that sounds like it may not be 
um, very timely, but what could in fact be more timely? Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, this is, I'm actually interested to see how as much things, as much as things have changed, they really are staying very much the same. And so I'm interested to explore that watching this play. And, and you also saw six. I saw six yesterday. How was that? Which was pure fun. Pure fun. And really wonderful. It was about the six wives of Henry VIII. And mm. they were portrayed as six divas, six pop star divas. And all they basically did was six divas and a, six, and a four person all female band was on the stage. And that was it. Huh. And this is the hottest show on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And you've got, um, it was absolutely fun and wonderful beginning to end. Um, just a very uplifting, but quite poignant at times show. It was really wonderful. Yeah. Well, the, sh uh, the show that you're seeing today starts at three your time. That is correct. That is important. Are you yeah. near Times Square? <laughs> I am very near it. I've been trying to uh, stay away from the loudest area because I had I didn't realize the play is actually on, as I said, on 42nd Street, and I totally forgot I'd have to walk down a large stretch of it, which you can hear is going on all around me. Actually, the sound has been very good. Yep, it has been. Oh, good. Yeah, when we talked before the show, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but it certainly did. Well, well this, is, this tested the limits of loud, so... I'm glad to hear that. Right. So thank you very much for being with us, Greg. Have happy holidays with with the family. Happy holidays. Thank you, you guys. Happy holidays. I hope everyone has a really wonderful holiday, Steve. And come back and uh, talk to us again. I cannot wait. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy the show. Bye-bye. Right, thank you. Bye-bye. And so what are your holiday plans, Laurent? You know, uh, same. Um, you know, open up Christmas gifts on uh, Christmas morning. Uh, my daughter's birthday is coming up soon, and uh, that's always a lot of uh, fun. A bunch of kids going to be running around, and that's it. And then hopefully the rest of the holidays, I'll be able to get some rest. So your daughter has a December birthday, doesn't she? Yes, she does. I always forget that. Yep, yep. So, so you have to have a big. Holiday. You know, we, we, we don't give, she, of course, we celebrate her birthday every year, but we don't give her a full party every year. We, we rotate. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, for all of us at Lambda Weekly, our guest next week is Jason Viejo from um, Elevate, North oh. Texas. Oh, awesome. Uh, talking about his, his working with some homeless kids. Hmm. Uh, we're going out with some music from Lisa Messiah, and we'll see you next week. Have a good week. <laughs>